Welcome to Soul Food, a podcast ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. And we will get started. Let's stand for the reading of the word, please. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so grateful to be able to come before you this morning to worship you, to be able to receive your word this day, O Lord. We just ask your help this morning as I deliver your word because I can do nothing of myself, nothing that would make any difference in, in eternity. And Lord, we pray that your word would accomplish that which you uh, sent it out to do. For you said it would, Lord, that you wouldn't let it return to you void. So we just pray, Lord, that your word does its job this day, that it enrich our hearts, that it equip us to do your work, and draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you may be seated. I'm not sure just how many messages I've done so far on our study in the book of Ephesians, but every one of them I have introduced by uh, a quote from uh, a Scotsman, John McKay, who was at one time the uh, president of Princeton Theological Seminary, and he said, for our time, the most relevant of Paul's works, speaking of the book of Ephesians, for here is the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. This letter is pure music. What we have here is truth that sings, doctrine set to music. And one commentator, I don't remember who it was, but he said that the book of Thessalonians is a mini course in theology. And I think that is a, a good description, really. So we're down to verse 11, but I want to back up just a, just a minute and uh, talk about uh, just a little quick review of uh, the beginning of the chapter, verses 1 through 10, which really tells our, our past, our present, and our future. Oh, uh, Harry Ironside, who was uh, the pastor of... Uh, Moody Memorial uh, Church in Chicago was going on a, a train one time to a preaching assignment and a gypsy came up to him and said, for a quarter, I can tell your future. In fact, I will tell your past, your present, and your future. Harry Ironside says, you can really do that? And she says, yes, for a quarter, I can. I guarantee you I can do this. He reached in his pocket and pulled out his New Testament, and he says, well, I don't need to spend a quarter. I'm a Scotsman. I don't part easily with quarters. And besides, I have my past, my present, and my future right here in this little book. And so he turns to Ephesians 2, and he says, my past, 
is told in Ephesians 2 and 1, I was dead in trespasses and sins. But my present, but God has raised me up and made me to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. In my future, that in ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward me in Christ Jesus. Now in the second half of this chapter, beginning with our verse today, in verse 11, we'll also talk about our past, our present, and our future. Verse, verses 11 and 12 tell us what we were, past tense. Verse 13 tells us our present, but now, that's present tense. And on down in verse 22, he talks about our future, and we'll talk about that in the future, because we're only doing the first uh, three verses of this section. But for us to fully understand what Paul is talking about today, we need a, a basic understanding of the social and religious climate in which Paul was writing. And before I get into that, I want to talk just a bit for comparison about our own social, political, and religious climate today. You know, if you have the slightest inkling of what's happening in our country, you're aware that for some time now, there has been a, a movement underway to change the whole structure of our society. Words like diversity, inclusion, equity keep popping up with almost every newscast that I listen to. And to hear newscasters and those on the far left particularly uh, tell it, systemic racism is the root of all of our troubles. Those in our society who envision themselves as disenfranchised are calling for a reversal of what they conceive to be the power structure and demand an equal voice for everyone. We may say, well, what, what's wrong with that? Aren't we, that doesn't sound like a bad idea to you know, treat everybody the same, give everybody an equal voice. In fact, doesn't our Declaration of Independence say that all men are created equal? Yeah, it does. That was written by a slave owner. I wondered sometimes if he thought some people were just more equal than others. But anyway, that's beside the point. But James said, you know, My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. Or as the King James Version puts it, with respect to persons. Well, we should treat everybody the same as long as we treat everybody good but you know the ugly face of racial discrimination has been a blight in our nation since its founding most of you can't remember this but I remember it well signs that said whites only over drinking fountains and and at the entrance to restrooms segregated schools segregated restaurants Segregated movie theaters where the blacks could only sit in the balcony. I had several friends who were jailed in Alabama and Mississippi during the Civil Rights Movement 
and I felt then, as I still do now, that their efforts were just and right. Yeah, there should be no place in our society for such discrimination. But, you know, those words that I mentioned a minute ago, diversity, inclusion, equity, they've taken on a different meaning today than what they really should mean. The people who are espousing these ideas are telling us that we not only should accept everyone for the color of their skin or their ethnic background, but for their lifestyle. And that we should accept their lifestyle, even a deviant lifestyle. And we should do so without question or without reservation. And if we don't agree, then we should keep quiet. Because another password for today, if you will, is privatization. If you believe in God and believe in the morality of God, then yeah, keep it private. Keep it to yourself. But if you don't, then it's okay to broadcast it, I suppose. You know, I could go on and on about this topic, and I don't. I, I that's what I where I'm supposed to be doing today. It it kind of gets me upset, so I don't want to get upset up here anyway. So we'll we'll keep going. And uh, but I I said all this to say that you know prejudice isn't something new. It isn't something that you know came about with uh, the founding of our nation. It has been around for a long, long time, and the prejudice that was prevalent in Paul's day was so much more profound, deep, if you will, than anything that we could imagine today. Let's look at verse 11. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, there's that word, therefore. You know, and I feel obligated, and most of you know what I'm going to say, is when you see that word, therefore, you ask yourself, what is the therefore, therefore? And it means you're supposed to look back and make sure that you know what the writer's talking about. Because of what has just, what he has just written about, what he is going to write about is relevant to because of our past, our present, and our future. What we were, what we are, and what we will become. And we need to always remember that. We need to stop and think where God has brought us from, where he has brought us to. Now, first I want to talk about the... Uh, relationship in Paul's day between Jews and Gentiles. You know, here for for us here in Princeton, West Virginia, on December the 27th in the year 2020, we tend to think of discrimination in terms of black and, and white issues. And what we have, you know, what Paul is talking about, the discrimination of Jew and Gentile, or as Paul refers here, 
to the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. And I think Paul is using these terms kind of as a jab at the Jews because of their discrimination. Uh, we, we tend to think of, of these things as something well in the past, and we really don't put the weight to them that, that they deserve. But, you know, to really understand what Paul is talking about, we need, you know, to really get a, a grip of the amount of animosity, the hostility, if you will, that existed between Jews and Gentiles. And what Paul is writing here in these last, chap last verses of chapter 2 was astonishing to the audience of his day, even shocking, if you will. Jews and Gentiles just did not mix. Now let me illustrate. Remember the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman at the well. I mean, when he talked to her, she was shocked. Yeah. She said, you're talking to me? Jews, Jews don't talk to Samaritans. Jews don't have any dealings with Samaritans. You know, this just didn't happen. She was she was shocked. But I think the, the best example in the entire New Testament we find in Acts chapter 10 and 11. This is the story about the conversion of Cornelius, who was the, the Roman centurion. You know the story where Peter was staying at the house of Simon, uh, the tanner, which uh, he was a Jewish guy, but this was an unclean occupation. But that's that's beside the point. At least he was staying in a Jewish house. And he sees the vision of the sheet being lowered with all manner of unclean things on it. And the Lord says to Peter, Peter, rise and eat. And he says, not so, Lord. I've never touched anything unclean. You know, and this happens three times. And then... The Lord tells Peter that uh, Cornelius has sent people to his house and that he's to go. He's to go to this centurion's house and to take the gospel to them. Now, I'm sure that Peter is just kind of wondering what on earth is going on here. You know, and it has been roughly 10 years since the day of Pentecost when this happened. Up until that time, the gospel had been preached only to Jews. And as far as the Jews were concerned, salvation was still only for the Jews. But now the Lord is telling Peter to go to Cornelius' house. Go to this, not just a Gentile, but a Roman Gentile. The oppressors, the army that is keeping uh, the Jews under subjection. And so... He takes an entourage with him. I'm sure he wants some witnesses for all of this. You know, you know, if I'm going to get in trouble, you guys are going to come with me, and we'll we'll all get in trouble together. But you know, and when he when he goes to Cornelius's house, you know, one of the first things he tells him is, you know, it's really not lawful for me to be here. I shouldn't be in this house. Well. You know, I could ask where Peter got that idea that it was not lawful for him to go into a, a Gentile's house. The law never says anywhere. 
But I know where he got that because that's what they were taught, what the rabbis taught. And this was, but this was not in the Bible. But anyway, Peter sincerely believed that he shouldn't be there. But the Lord told him, and Peter was obedient, and he he preached the gospel to him, to them. And well, lo and behold, you know, the Gentiles believed. The Gentiles not only believed, but they received the Holy Spirit. They spoke in tongues. And these Jews, I'm sure, were were astounded, you know. Well, you know, I guess God has accepted the Gentiles too. Well, you know, then on ch in chapter 11, you know, Peter has to, to face the council in, in Jerusalem and explain himself. And when he tells him what happened, the Bible says that they were silent for a bit. You know, this, this was shocking. This, this was just something that, you know, they never expected to happen. Because salvation was from the Jews and for the Jews, not for the Gentiles. And so it said they just, they were speechless. And then somebody said, you know, well, praise the Lord. And so they gave glory to God. So you know, somebody said that this is the story of the conversion of Cornelius and his household. But it's also the story of the conversion of Peter you know, converted him from being a, I guess, a racist Jew, if you want to use that term, you know, to accepting Gentiles too. Well, you know, Peter had his moments. Peter always had his moments, you know, because uh, we know the story that Paul tells in... Uh, in Galatians, you know, in Antioch, you know, Peter was fine uh, mingling with the Gentiles until the Jews came from Jerusalem up to see what was going on, and he withdrew himself and, and wouldn't associate with them, wouldn't eat with them anymore. You know, so he had to be reminded. He had to be rebuked. So, you know, we can see from the illustrations in the Bible just what kind of divide there there was. And in, I think it's the 19th chapter of the book of Acts, you know, Paul is accused of taking a Gentile into the temple. And he was, he, he was grabbed by a, a lynch mob, if you will. They wanted to, wanted to kill him, you know, and they would have had not the uh, Romans intervened because you know, if there was anything that a Gentile couldn't do, and that would was it would be to go into the temple. Now, the temple at Jesus' time is a really good illustration of this this prejudice that existed between the Jew and Gentile. Now, the the temple of of Paul's time and of Jesus' time. Uh, was well essentially the temple that was built by Ezra following the Babylonian captivity. It was compared to Solomon's temple. The first temple was a relatively plain structure. You know, it was built under great duress. 
it was built hastily and it was built more just for function than for form and like I say lacking in the splendor of uh, Solomon's temple now in the early first century uh, BC when Herod the Great came to power one of Herod's uh, main goals for his uh, administration was to perpetuate his name through the building of, of, of great uh, structures and his crowning glory was the temple in Jerusalem so he he rebuilt it um, into what was the temple you know of, of Jesus time the temple of, of Paul's time he had to build it around the existing temple the one that Ezra had built his his agreement with the Jews was that he could he could do this he could rebuild the temple but he had to do it in such a way as to allow the sacrifices and the daily administration of the temple to continue so you know there's some debate as to whether Herod's temple was the just the second temple you know refurbished or a, a third temple but you know that's all beside the point uh, but it was you know, a magnificent structure and the way that Herod had it built it was built up on a, a raised uh, platform and the temple itself was comprised of, of three courts you know plus the holy place and the holy holiest place and the three courts were one court for the uh, priest one for one court for the average Israelite or Jew, and one court for the women Israelites or, or Jewish women. And from there, there was about four steps down to a large area that had a, a wall around it. And from there, 14 or 15 more steps down to uh, a great plaza that was called the Court of the Gentiles. And around this plaza was a wall that was several feet thick, and I'm not sure just how high, but placed all around this wall uh, were the temple guards and also <coughs> signs that read, No foreigner is to enter within the barrier around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. How'd you like to have that on your church sign? Yeah. No. Yeah. They wanted to make sure that they kept the Gentiles out. And I, actually, a couple of these signs have been found you know, in the last century uh, by archaeologists. Yeah. And, you know, I'm saying all this just to illustrate how deep the divide was between Jew and Gentile in, in Jesus' day and in Paul's day and just how you know remarkable Paul's writing here is. Verse 12, At that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Here he's talking about you know, our past. 
and five things that the Gentiles were without, without Christ, or aliens or barred from the commonwealth of Israel. We were strangers to the covenants and promises. We had no hope, and we were without God in the world. First, he says that we were without Christ. And, of course, without Christ, you know, there is no possibility of salvation. You know, Jesus came first to the Jews. To them first, he brought the message of salvation. And Gentiles, being shut out from the religious life of the Jews, weren't even aware of the possibility that Jesus brought. They didn't even know to expect a Messiah, whereas the Jews were looking for one. And they were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. Now, God had chosen Israel as his special people. Exodus 6, 77 says, I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. And then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Then on over in Exodus 19.6, he says further, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God chose Israel to be his own special people. But he chose them to be a light to the world. But instead of being the light to the world, Israel kept doing one of two things. Either they wanted to be like the world, or else they kept God just to themselves and didn't share him with the world. Well, that's kind of a picture of the of the church today too, isn't it? Some churches want to be like the world so that you can't tell a difference between the world and the Christian, whereas others you know, want to be just legalistically legalistic and over religious and keep them keep him just to themselves and not share him with the world. They want to shut the world completely out. That's not why God had Israel so that they could look like the world or else they could keep God from the world. And that is not why he has us as the church so that we can look like the world or so that we can shut God out from the world. We are to be the light. And excluded from the covenant. I think here uh, Paul had specifically in mind the Abrahamic covenant, which is the foundation for all the covenants of uh, that God had made with Israel. Genesis 12, 1 through 3 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. 
and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Then again in Genesis 15:5 and 6, he says, Then he brought him outside and said, Now look toward heaven and count the stars, if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Now this covenant that God made with Abraham is the foundational covenant for Israel and on which all the other covenants rest. And from this covenant we are told that Abraham believed God and he counted it to him for righteousness. But the Gentiles were excluded from this information. They weren't even told by the Jews that the promise to God, the promise from God to Abraham was that even they would be blessed in him. And they were excluded from hope. And that is to say a hope that is real. Now, man can't live without hope. But, you know, there's something that's almost as bad as no hope, and that is false hope. If we don't have our hope, if we don't have our trust and our faith in something that is real, that is solid, and is going to happen, you know, it's just as bad as no hope at all. Because it's not going to happen. It's not going to come to pass. To be excluded from a hope that's real is a sad situation. So God took care of that. And finally, excluded from God. Of course, to be excluded from Christ is to be excluded from God. There is only one way to God, and that is through Jesus. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. You know, this last bad situation of the Gentiles kind of summarizes the previous four. But, you know, in, if we look back at this summary, we not only see that this was a condition of the Gentiles before Jesus came, it is all the, also the condition of Gentile and Jew alike today if they haven't accepted Jesus. We are, they are without Christ if they haven't accepted him. They are excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. They are excluded from the promises of, of the covenants. They are excluded from hope. You know, whether you're Jew or Gentile today, all these things apply to you just as much as they did to Gentiles back before Jesus ever came. But fortunately, yeah, the good news is here today. And you don't have to stay that way. That is a situation that can be changed. Verse 13 begins with, But now. But now. In Christ Jesus, you who are once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Yeah, but now is a, this has a lovely sound to it, I think. Yeah. 
up, uh, I forget what verse it is, but, you know, further up in chapter 2, you know, we're told, but God, when we were dead in trespasses and sins, but then we who were without Christ, you know, without access to uh, salvation, but now we who are Gentiles in the flesh, you know, things have changed for us. In fact, he says we are no longer Gentiles in the flesh. We were outside the commonwealth of Israel. Now we have been grafted in. Look at Romans 9, 6 through 8 says, But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children, because they are the seed of Abraham. But in Isaac your seed shall be called that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as seed. And then in Romans 11, he says, And some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, for if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. So Paul is saying that just because somebody is born a Jew or born an Israelite doesn't make him one of God's children. It doesn't make him a true Israelite. It is only by being born again that we can become one of God's children. And that is regardless of the circumstances of our birth. Now, does that mean that God is through with national Israel? I don't think so. You know, look at Romans 3, 1 through 4. What advantage has, has the Jew or what profit is there in circumcision? Much in every way. Lost my place. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some of them did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. God still has plans for national Israel and will fulfill his promise to them. Look at Romans 11:25. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, and that is the mystery of the grafting in of the Gentiles into the commonwealth of Israel. I, I do not desire that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinions, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. As it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant with them. I will take away their sins. You know, but now Paul is talking to Gentile believers. There were mostly Gentile believers in the church in Ephesus. And he is saying that it is in Christ that our future is secure. 
you know, he told us well of our future on further up in Ephesians when he and Ephesians 2 when he said, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us, in Christ Jesus. We were once excluded, but now we have been brought near. How did he accomplish that? By the blood of Christ. 1 Peter 1.17 If you call on the Father, who without partiality judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves throughout the time of your stay in fear, knowing that you... We're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. For he indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest to you in these last times who through him believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope is in God. You know, in these verses, Paul is telling us Gentile believers, Jewish believers alike, but especially us Gentile believers, to remember our past, that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were outside the covenant people of God and were basically hopeless. He wants us to be aware of our presence, presence that we have been brought into the family of God and are now part of the commonwealth of Israel, God's chosen people. To think on such amazing things as these not only makes us humble, but makes us want to praise him, to give thanks to him for his unspeakable gift to us. You know, in his great love for us, he saw fit to insert the words, but now, into our lives, and has given us not only a new presence, but a new future. The words that God spoke to the Israelites through Moses that I read just a few minutes ago, uh, he also spoke to the church through the apostle Peter. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this amazing, marvelous, just unspeakable thing that, that you have done for us. Thank you for sending your son to the cross and raising him from the dead to give us hope. Now let us, Lord, as your church, as your people, be the kingdom of priests that you want us to be. Let us not hide our lights under a bushel, 
And let us not conform to the ways of the world. But let us follow you, follow your leading, to be examples and to show that there is a, a God who lives and who loves. In Jesus' name, amen.